desk brings you exciting and practical tips for improving your virtual teaching and virtual learning experience. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Amy Lin, the director of VESC. We have a very special guest today, and I cannot wait for you to hear from this guest, Seth Raphael. Seth attends high school, he's in the ninth grade, and he's here to tell us a little bit about his experience going virtual during COVID, but even more importantly, a very unique project that Seth has been a part of creating, has created himself. I'm I'm underestimating him. Seth, would you like to share a little about yourself? I'd love to. So first of all, thanks so much for having me on. I'm a ninth grader at Los Lomas High School in Walnut Creek and a really passionate programmer and entrepreneur. I really enjoy programming and I play piano, I play sports. I do a lot of stuff, but programming is really my joy. It shows. In my meetings with Seth, I was able to see a project that he's been working on called Link Join. Seth, can you tell us about this project? Sure. So Link Join is a website that organizes and automatically opens virtual classes and meetings. How it works is you would take your virtual meeting link, say a Zoom link, and you would put it into LinkJoin, along with the time, the days, and all of the meeting information. Then, when the time comes, LinkJoin would automatically open your meeting without you having to do anything at all. With conventional programs, there's always that last step. No matter how many reminders you get, you always have to take that last step of clicking the link to join the meeting. LinkJoin eliminates that last step and makes it as easy as possible to be on time. It's an amazing product. What made you decide to do it? So when I was in virtual school, I would always have the problem of being late to my classes. And we all know that feeling where you're seated at the computer, you're all ready to go, and you're five minutes early, but you don't want to join the meeting that early. So you'll sit there either doing nothing or you'll get distracted doing something else on the computer. And then before you know it, you're actually late for the class or meeting. And this was a problem that I was having a lot. I would always be late to my classes just because I get distracted often by coding. (laughs) So I decided to try and find a program that would help me out here and would automatically open my classes, and I couldn't find one. I thought it was crazy that this didn't exist, that someone hadn't created this, so I decided to make it myself. How did you know that someone hadn't created anything like this, that you've conceived of a unique idea? I really scoured the internet. I looked everywhere that I could because I don't want to have to put in work if I don't need to. (laughs) So I was looking all across the internet trying to find everything I could with all the keywords, you know, auto, join, Zoom, meeting, and I couldn't find anything that would do what I wanted it to. Because Zoom has features where it'll send you reminders and even sometimes automatically open your meeting if you're the host. But there really wasn't a software that would organize the meetings and automatically open them if you were just a random attendee of the meeting. Right. And you told me when we met, it's the automatically opening them that you were particularly fond of. Tell me a little more about that. I know you've talked with some of your friends about this. Why is that feature so important? So I brought this up a little bit before because there's always a final step. If you put it in Google Calendar, in Apple Calendar, or in any or in any other reminder app, you always have that problem where even if you get a reminder, it's so easy to ignore it. You can think, oh, I'll just click it in a second, or you just miss the reminder completely. But with the automatic opening, it doesn't give you a choice. It launches the meeting no matter what you're doing on the computer, 
And it doesn't give you a choice of joining or not. It just puts you in and that's that. Right, right. And did you share this idea with your friends? I did, yeah. And uh, several of them started using it and found it helpful. And that was actually part of my reasoning for turning it into a website. So it started as just a little program that I'd written on my computer. And it worked really well for me. I wasn't late anymore, but I wanted to share it with my friends. So I tried originally just copy and pasting all of the code, sending it to them via text and having them run it, which was obviously very inconvenient. And I'd been taking a web design class at the time, so I decided why not try and turn it into a website. So I worked hard and learned a lot of new things and eventually turned it into a website and that got it to where it is today. That's pretty incredible. Did you use a certain platform for your website or did you just create that yourself with HTML? What, how did you do that? I'm not a website designer. <laughs> yeah, I really just made it myself. I just uh, used the HTML, CSS, JavaScript, all of that for the front end of making the website look the way it does. And I used Python, which is my favorite language, on the back end to manage all of the interactions and creating accounts and everything that it does. That is fantastic and really impressive. I know that I can go on Weebly, I can go on Squarespace and make websites like that, but knowing HTML, how did you learn all of that? So a while back, I'd taken an introduction to web design class, and I really, really hated it. It was very boring, it was very dry, and I didn't see ways that I could apply it to what I wanted to do. So I eventually dropped the class and I just had some rudimentary knowledge that I was left with. But then, a while later, I decided to take an introduction to Python class, which ended up being very different, because it had this appeal to it. It was interesting. I could make things with it that were cool, as opposed to just the dry, basic web pages that come from only knowing HTML and CSS. So... I was armed with this knowledge of basic Python and basic HTML, and now all I had to do was combine them. So I did a lot of self-teaching, a lot of Googling, and a lot of trial and error, and that was really how I learned and how I got a working product from it. That's amazing. I just want to remind everyone that you are in ninth grade. That means in March of 2020, you were a seventh grader, and I hear you talking about I took a class. I dropped a class. Where were you taking these classes? Do you have a special school? So I'm actually enrolled in a program uh, called CTY uh, through Johns Hopkins. It's the Center for Talented Youth, which is an interesting name. But it's uh, it offers extracurricular classes that you can take outside of school. And that's where I was taking these because there was the long, boring summer of 2020 when no one could go anywhere or do anything because of COVID, and I was really just stuck indoors. So I enrolled in that Python class, and I learned a lot. I finished it in, like, I think a month, uh, this entire class, and that program really got me going on my coding journey. So I heard you say you finished it in a month with a little bit of surprise. Are you telling me this was an asynchronous class and it was self-directed learning? Yes, that's exactly what it was. So it was just, I was motivating myself to do it. I was just moving through the assignments, had occasional meetings with my teacher only when I had questions. And I was just moving through it pretty fast because I had nothing better to do. That is amazing to me. Do other 
friends of yours or kids you know your age, are they doing the same thing? Are they looking for sources online like that to expand their knowledge and learn new skills? Unfortunately, no. None of my friends really like coding or do that kind of extracurricular things. Try as I might to convince them about trying to learn to code or doing anything like that. I cannot. None of them want to learn to code. So I'm a little on my own right now with that. That's interesting. I know my own daughter a few years ago, she's 17 now, also tried coding and did a few little things, but it was a challenge and it's certainly a challenge to learn it in a self-directed online format. That's pretty amazing. I think that's pretty special. I'm sure you realize you have a very unique gift. Yeah, I just really found a passion for this. I've tried a lot of things. My parents enroll me in a lot of things uh, to get me going on different opportunities, but this was one that I just really took a liking to and have continued with. That's great. So tell me a little bit about how COVID was for you at your school, because I can't help but wonder, Seth, would this have happened? Would you have created this if this if, if COVID had not happened? So it, it really hurts to say, but the pandemic, I actually kind of benefited from. There was, of course, all of the horrors and terrible things that came out of the pandemic, but I really, I don't know if I would have learned to code I'd, or gotten this far with it without the pandemic. It gave me the time that I needed to really foster my knowledge and my learning of uh, this skill Whereas if it had just been a normal summer where I was doing a bunch of summer camps and things like that, I'm not sure that I would have actually really gotten into it. I'd started uh, learning to code a while ago where I'd been enrolled in a bunch of summer camps, just one or two week programs that I didn't really catch on to. But what actually got me into coding in the first place uh, later on was that I broke my finger, which may sound really weird and unrelated, but what it gave me access to was a computer in school because I broke my pinky on my right hand and I couldn't write at all. So I now had access to a computer and some access to boredom. So what I would do is I would go online and test out my Python skills. I tried to remember how to do certain things. And then after realizing, hey, this is kind of fun, I then asked my parents to enroll me in the course. And then that got the ball rolling and COVID really accelerated things. That's a pretty amazing story. I, I want to just point out two other things. I hope I'm not going to embarrass you too much. Maybe it's the mother in me, but I don't think so. I think that your story is remarkable, Seth, but what stands out to me is your compassion. You know, you noticed that maybe this wasn't a great time for everyone, right? And you made a point of mentioning that. And you're right, it's been a terrible time for a lot of people. Um, and your gratitude also just really resonates with me um, as as impressive. You know, you're obviously, you know, doing amazing things and quite intelligent and capable, but you're also emotionally aware and very mature for your age. It's just really amazing. Do you hear that a lot? <laughs> My mom says that a lot, yes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, is there anything else you think the audience should know about LinkJoin? Well, don't get it confused with LinkJoin.com. That is a Chinese website. It's LinkJoin.xyz. So 
make sure you get to the right one. That's great. I'm glad you mentioned it. And we will put the link to Link Join XYZ in the uh, description for this podcast. Should anyone, sometimes I hear people might be a little concerned when the ending isn't .com or .org. What are your thoughts about that? Should anyone be concerned? So that's interesting because the reason that uh, some endings have a, a reputation for not being super reliable is just because they're cheap. Because they're easy for scammers to get a hold of and set up a website in 10 minutes and uh, steal your information from. So that's why they've acquired a bad rap. But not all endings like that are bad. There are plenty of endings that just aren't super common that are used for completely legitimate websites. So yes, be careful when you're going to websites that don't have .com, .org, .net, those kinds of endings. But generally, they will be safe. Thanks. Yes, I've heard the same, and I I figured you would have an answer to that. Now, you're being a little bit modest, because before we close, I I want you to share what is in the future for LinkJoin, if if you're comfortable with sharing some of the information that you've shared with me. So in the future, I'm really hoping, well, small steps first. I'm hoping to get it integrated with a lot of other software, so with maybe Google Calendar or Zoom, to just add that extra level of convenience so that you don't have any steps that you need to that make life more inconvenient. And then farther down the road, I'm hoping that it will become a sort of gold standard for online meetings, where if you are making a meeting, you would just have a LinkJoin link, and LinkJoin would automatically open your meetings, or the software would be used in other software to open meetings automatically, and it would just make everyone's life easier. And you've done some work to protect yourself, Seth. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so I found a provisional patent for LinkJoin, which gives me a certain level of uh, IP, which protects my information. And then I've also, I'm in the process of filing for a trademark and uh, things like that are all in the works to make sure that I have the appropriate amount of protection. That's great. That's really great. Okay, last call. Anything else that we should know? I think we're good. We've covered LinkJoin. We've covered me. I think we're good. Okay, well, thank you so much for spending some time uh, with us at VESC and sharing about your experience. I really hope that we'll have an opportunity to hear more from you in our upcoming conference. Some plans for that are in the works. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Seth. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on VESC. This is Dr. Amy Lin. Remember, learning is right at your fingertips.